Well, good morning, church. What a strange season we're living in. Some of you have told me that you're enjoying going to church in your pajamas. I understand that. Just remember that works two ways. If you get too comfortable, I also might choose to get comfortable. Listen, we're, we're working just as hard as we can to make our church uh, create as much community for you to feel as much love as much support, feel as much connection as you ever have. If you're watching at home right now or if you watch one of the later broadcasts at 10.30 or 5.30, I really hope you'll be able to appreciate the upgrades we made this week. I want to thank everybody, an amazing team of volunteers and our incredible staff that have worked uh, tirelessly uh, to make this Sunday and forthcoming Sundays for as long as this takes uh, to be as real and personable and as close to you as we possibly can be. Uh, I'd like to ask you, if you're part of our church family and you are not receiving my church-wide email, to go inside the hub and go to our church website and update your information. Go to the church website, make sure that we have your email address, make sure that we have your current address, your phone numbers. You can update that contact information online. And we have in that new website, we have new digital resources for children, for students, we're trying to extend the reach of our church digitally since we can so rarely uh, do anything in person. We want you to check out the church website, get involved. If you're struggling with technology at home, uh, please give us a call. You can call me or email me. I'll make sure, if I can't figure it out, I'll make sure that someone capable, uh, not me, gets in touch with you and walks you through whatever you need to solve so that we can stay in touch. Psalm 46 reminds us of who God is and what He does at all times, including times like these. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. Listen, 3,000 years old. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters His voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how He has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars to cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns chariots with fire. Listen, friends. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. And here's our comfort, Psalm 46, verse 11. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Anybody who's telling you that they know how this is going to end or they know exactly what to do next, at best, the most charitable is just being positive. Nobody really knows. We've been humbled as a church, as individuals, as a nation, really as a global community. We've been humbled by something we cannot see that has made life change dramatically 
in the span of just a few days. God is unchanged. Nothing is changed in His character. He is as loving and as faithful and as generous and as powerful and as strong as He has ever been. He is unchanged and unchanging. And in all of that torment, in all of this upheaval, we can take comfort in the last verse. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. We're not alone. We have each other, and much more importantly, we have God as our Father. Lord, thank you that because you are unchanging in changing circumstances, we can continue to say that it is well. And Lord, we normally at this time receive an offering, and people generously give. They pull out their wallet. They reach for their checkbook. We'll do that all online now. Thank you for living in a time where when we're told we must stay away from each other for community health, we can maintain community. We can remain generous. So wherever and whenever and however people choose to give, Lord, whether they do it online or, or mail their offering to you, may it sustain the ministry that you want us to do. May it teach us, Lord, to trust you in difficult times. Make us generous and provide, Lord, for those who are frightened, for those who have already lost income or jobs or are fearful for their future. Remind them of the truth of your word, that you are their fortress, you are their refuge, you are with us, and you are for us. So help us love and serve and give and do all as we should. Help us not to change, Lord, and turn for the worse or turn fearful. Help us trust in you, our unchanging God, that we may continue to act as your children. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Because this is such an unusual and, and, frankly, strange environment, I want to give you a moment there at home to find your Bible if you don't have it. This new online environment that we've, we've just created on our website actually has Scripture available. You can take notes online, but I'd, I'd encourage you just to make yourself as focused and as attentive as you can be. And if you have kids at home, yes, they will they'll interrupt, they'll need something, that's fine. We'll just do the best we can and we'll hear the word of the Lord together. I bailed on social media about a year and a half ago, but I'm re-engaged there. I'd love to hear from you and see what's going on in your life via Facebook or Instagram or church. Social media channels, both Instagram and Facebook, have really perked up. We're connecting as best we can in this difficult point time, but at the website, really, you can do just about everything you can do at church. You can send a prayer request. You can actually chat during the sermon. I hope you don't. Uh, that, might be a little, that might be a little discouraging for me to get home and see uh, people arguing about the sermon or saying that I've made a mistake, uh, which I might. Uh, but just engage as best you can, and we will get through this together. I'm trusting the heart of the Lord, and the good character of this congregation, that this is actually going to be our finest hour. I've already seen so much love, so much kindness. I've seen people who are actually in need of care and protection extending themselves to ask what they can do for others. I know some of you are already under financial pressure and you're still asking, in spite, even with my reduced income, how, how can I give? I want to stay faithful. I want to do what I can. 
And families go through tough seasons. And we've said for years we're a family of faith, and, and we are. And the family, through no fault of its own, is going through a tough time. But we will go through this together. We will learn to love each other and the Lord and trust Him better. And all will be well. Now, if after all that you have your Bible, I'd love for you to open it with me in the Gospel of Matthew and just ask yourself this question. Does Jesus have credibility to tell you how to live? Because the very first thing He says in this passage in the world-famous Sermon on the Mount. If you only take the first sentence, you might dismiss it. Some people do, because the first thing that Jesus tells you is not to worry. And I don't know if you've ever had the experience of telling someone not to worry or telling someone to calm down. I've been married for quite a while, and I've learned the hard way that telling someone to calm down rarely helps them actually calm down. The first sentence that Jesus tells us in Matthew 6.25 seems impossible, especially at times like this. But there's much more than verse 25. He's going to tell you to not be anxious, then He's going to tell you why. Matthew 6, verse 25, we can read together wherever we are. Jesus said, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. There's His commandment, and He's going to say it more than once. He's going to say specifically, do not be anxious about your life. Do not worry. Jesus is going to teach us, in other words, He's going to talk to us about how to have peace in a time of panic, and then He's going to tell us, because the Lord is never impractical or theoretical, He's actually going to tell us how. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. So, ask yourself, wherever you are, are you anxious this morning? I have been. I've been anxious for myself, and I've been much more anxious for others. Because we're only connecting digitally now, text messages are pouring in. I've received messages even this morning in emails. People are speaking of their troubles, speaking of their needs. Listen to Jesus again. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Do not be anxious, Jesus says, even about the most basic and obvious needs in life. And then, for the rest of the verse, He's going to tell us how. He says, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? There's really, I think, two primary practical things that Jesus is telling us here. First of all, to have peace in a time of panic, first of all, Jesus says, keep perspective. You have to keep perspective or you will succumb to stress. You will be overrun with anxiety. We're actually in a really interesting time where we're being forced to put things into perspective. I never imagined that I would be so grateful to buy a single loaf of bread. I never imagined a time, at least in the United States, I've lived elsewhere, but I've never imagined a time in the United States where buying a pack of toilet paper would be really kind of a red-letter day. But there we are. 
Jesus, who is well acquainted with suffering, who is living in a time of poverty, he is a poor man himself, who's addressing, remember, people whose day-to-day life is far more difficult than any American has likely had in living memory, at least in our national experience, where it's uncertain from day to day what people are going to eat. That was life in the first century. It was a work a day, get paid for that day. It was very much a hand-to-mouth existence. To those disciples, to those first Christians, Jesus says, do not be anxious about your life. What you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Here's the first reason why or how to do it, Jesus says, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. That means you need to keep first perspective. Jesus is telling us your stuff is not your life. The stuff that we have been so consumed in accumulating, in earning, that's not our life. Our life is beyond that. Our life is more precious than that. Verse 26, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. We'll come back to that. That's very important. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? What's Jesus telling us? He's saying, first of all, keep your perspective because the stuff that you need, even the essential stuff for life, is not your life itself. And secondly, a second reason to keep perspective is all your worrying doesn't work. It doesn't do anything for you. He says, by being anxious, you can't add a single hour to your lifetime. In fact, medical science in the 21st century tells us that you're much more likely to shorten your life by being anxious. When I was in Bible college, I had amazing friends. Like so many people, we've lost touch for the most part, but one of my best friends was my longtime roommate, and he was a a brilliant guy. Uh, then and now, he, he had more, more intelligence, more wit than just about anybody I've ever met. But he had a, an odd habit when the pressure was on. I'd get up, charge off to class. He would be laying in bed, moaning, saying, I have so much to do. I'd go to class, go to another class, go to lunch, go to my job, come back late in the afternoon. He's still in bed. He's still wearing the same clothes. He's still moaning, I have so much to do. And I would ask, what have you done? Oh, nothing. I've been laying here thinking about all that I have to do. I'm not speaking in judgment. I can relate to that. Anxiety is paralyzing. It makes you think that all you're ruminating, all you're thinking about it, all you're stewing in it and projecting forward with negativity into the future is accomplishing in it something, and it actually isn't. Listen to what Corey Ten Boom taught us from the crucible of her experience. If you're not familiar with her, she's one of the greatest Christian women to live in modern times. She was actually a survivor of the Holocaust. She lost, I believe, all of her family after she and her family took in and hid Jews in their uh, native Netherlands. They were discovered and sent off to work, and almost all of them died. So she has a great deal of credibility to talk to us about suffering and anxiety. 
She survived to tell her story, and if you haven't read it, if you're going to be quarantined or spending a lot of time at home, let me recommend her famous book, The Hiding Place. Here's what Corey Ten Boom said on the other side of surviving the Holocaust. Corey said, worry does not empty tomorrow of its sorrow. It empties today of its strength. And that's exactly right. That's what Jesus is telling us. Your anxiety is doing you no good. Which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? No one. Look at the end of the passage. He's going to come back to that in verse 34. He said, therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Jesus said, don't worry about tomorrow because you've got enough to do. You've got enough work on hand today. Every day has enough trouble of its own. And the overwhelming sense that some of you are getting is this. You're feeling at this moment more anxiety, more pressure perhaps than you've ever felt in your life or at least in a very long time if we're not very careful and we work on the problem at hand and we plan and we reflect and we pray if we succumb instead to anxious rumination, to stewing about the problem, to projecting forward in the worst case scenarios if you stayed glued to social media, if you stayed glued to the news, if you continue to entertain the worst case scenarios, you're going to be paralyzed. And you're going to discover the truth of what Corey Ten Boom was trying to share with us, that worry does not empty tomorrow of its sorrow. It just takes away the strength of today. Just a little practical word of encouragement. Having this peaceful perspective takes practice. Nobody gets this right all the time, only the Lord Jesus. We're His disciples. We're learning to live this way. We won't go through it in a straight line of, of continued unbroken success. You will feel fearful. You will succumb to anxiety from time to time. You might snap at a loved one. You might behave unkindly to someone else in our church family or to someone else in the community that's trying to serve you or simply trying to provide for their own family. What do you do in those moments? You arrest that thought. You recognize that you strayed away from the simple instructions of Jesus. You recognize that you've lost perspective. You ask forgiveness as needed from the Lord, from those you've injured, from those you've stressed, and you remember again to keep perspective. Two secular authors, without making any reference to Jesus, actually expanded a great deal in a, in a really interesting book called Work Without Stress. Uh, Dr. Derek Roger and Nick Petrie wrote a book that really explains from a research and scientific base point of view, without appealing or referencing the words of Jesus, they talk exactly about what he's teaching us to do. They distinguish between reflection, which is thinking about the task at hand and working on it, and rumination. There's reflection and there's rumination. When Jesus says in verse 34, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself, sufficient for the day is its own trouble, 
He's not telling you not to think about it. He's not telling you not to do anything about tomorrow. He's distinguishing between all that Scripture teaches, such as prayer and seeking counsel and getting to work and doing the unproductive thing that anxiety and worry do, which is to sit and stew, what these authors call rumination. And reading the words of Jesus again and reading several years ago, their data-based explanation of what they're seeing in their lab and the way people live and the way people act made me realize I've got a black belt in rumination. I can take a little bit of adversity and with negativity project that five years forward into a disaster scenario. And I think a lot of us can, and I think social media and the constant 24-hour news cycle is teaching a lot of us to do just that. And Jesus here is forbidding it. He's telling the people that God loves, he's telling his disciples, don't live this way. And here's the difference between rumination and reflection as best as I can explain it, or the difference between worry and anxiety that Jesus is saying, don't do that, keep your perspective, and actually engaging the task at hand. Ask yourself this simple question, are you living in this present moment? Are you engaged with the day's troubles? Are you engaged with the day's opportunities? Because a pastor is teaching the Bible, that's one side of, of the calling. The other side of the calling is dealing with people. On an average day, I might deal with two or three dozen people, many of them with problems. And I realized I had developed somewhat of a black belt in rumination by going home and sitting with my loved ones. And as my wife once sweetly, she was very kind in the way she said it, she said, you're home, but you're not here yet. And I thought, how true. I was thinking about my work. I was thinking about other people's needs. I was thinking about my own problems. I wasn't engaged with my three loved ones that were sitting directly in front of me. Jesus is saying the first thing to do in a time of fear and anxiety is to keep your perspective, remembering that your stuff is not your life and your worry is not working. I'll teach you more about this next week, but as far as worry not working, try to teach yourself, try to be aware of your conscious thoughts as you move through the day and ask yourself, are you actually engaging in the moment? Are you working for the future or stewing about it? And don't be hard on yourself because having this peaceful perspective takes practice. Jesus said much more, but really there's just one dominant thought in the verses that remain in this passage. Go back to verse 26. Jesus said, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Don't you mean more to God than birds flying overhead? Which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed or dressed like one of these. Here's his point. If God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive, 
and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith? Now he's getting down to the heart of the issue. The reason I ruminate is because I am in that moment not present actually with anybody, not with God, not with the people in front of me. I'm wrapped up in my own thoughts. I'm wrapped up in my own negative projections. I'm reflecting about something that happened earlier that day or a week earlier, and I'm remembering that with emotional upset and projecting all kinds of negativity into the moment and into the future. And Jesus says, when I'm doing that, at that moment, I am acting as if God is not the way God is being presented, as if God was not real, as if God did not care. And He does. So Jesus says, therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. And here we get down to the second thought of how we keep peace in a time of panic. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Second thing you do in a time of anxiety and fear is you remember God's provision You remember that you are not some random life form that somehow appeared in the universe. You remember that you are dearly loved and that the same God who made the birds of the air and provides for them, though they don't hold meetings and they don't have teleconference calls, they don't have Zoom or in-person meetings to discuss how that year's grass is going and how that year's nest building effort is coming along. God provides for animals that seem, compared to us, nearly senseless. He provides for them. And for simple little flowers in the field, God says, Jesus says, in God's generosity and care, He clothes flowers that are going to be gone the next day in more splendor. He gives them more beauty than your wealthiest and most spectacular of kings. This is who God is. The world he made is good. He adorns it with beauty and shows his power in every single one of his works because he cares, because he's good, because he provides. Jesus is saying here, your father knows what you need. Verse 31, therefore do not be anxious saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? Can you hear the panic in those questions? What are we going to do? The Gentiles seek after all these things. In other words, Jesus says, people who don't know God at all, they've sought those things. They've centered their whole life on acquiring the things that are concerning you. Here's why you don't have to live that way. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Your Father knows. Not everyone has the privilege, but one of the blessings of being a father is it gives you a slightly better perspective when you decide and you have the blessing of loving another person, your own child, your son, your daughter. It gives you a little bit more perspective on how the vast love of God is that He has decided to call Himself your father. 
God is many things. He's creator and king and sovereign, but his favorite way of explaining himself to the people that Jesus has saved is that he is all of those things. He remains all of those things, but primarily his favorite way of helping us understand who he is, is he is our father. And dad knows. Your father knows what you need. Uh, My two sons are, are men now. Uh, They're young adults. One has begun his career, the other is halfway through college. But in in watching them grow up, we often had an experience which never made them smile, but always made me smile and sometimes laugh. One of them in particular, if he got to the point of being hangry, his world would collapse. And in spite of the many thousands of meals he had been provided in his very young, boyish attitude and his outlook, He acted as if he would never eat again, as if mom and dad had forgotten that human beings need food. He would seem not to notice that the house already smelled like good cooking. It just, his world would cave in, and it's such a picture of the way I act when new circumstances, new fears, new challenges, new difficulties arise And in that moment, I forget all of my father's faithfulness to me in the past. I forget in that moment that Jesus actually died for my sins. That the reason any single one of us can call God a father is because Jesus came to live in our place, to die as our substitute on a cross that he chose to rise from the dead three days later for the express purpose of keeping all of God's promises and giving us eternal life. That's how I'm loved. That's how you're loved. That's why Paul asked elsewhere, That if God did not spare his own son, won't he surely give us along with Jesus, he says? Won't he give us everything else? If our forgiveness, if our eternal life was so precious to the Father, knowing that the only way we could be saved is to have a sin bearer in our place, And that the only qualified sin bearer was his son, Jesus. And if Jesus consciously endured the poverty I've been describing and the humiliation of being lied about and rejected, if he consciously, deliberately went through all of that and comforted us along the way saying, it's okay, in all these fears, he was never impatient with us. He was never harsh. He says, with all, even as he faced his own cross, he says, with all that you fear, what I need to tell you today is don't worry because your heavenly Father knows that you need these things. And listen, I'm not being abstract. I've already got the calls. I've already got the emails. I know how difficult this has immediately become for many of you. And we're praying for you. And we're resourcing and we're networking. We're doing all that we can already as a church family. We're just fallible human beings saved by God's grace just like you. But as your brothers and sisters, we're doing what we can to come alongside you and support you and encourage you so that we get through this together. But whatever has happened and whatever will happen, your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things Your heavenly Father knows what you need, and your heavenly Father loves you. That's your security. Your security is not that circumstances will change. We want circumstances to change. 
we're praying, we're actively working as a church family in all of these ministries that are represented on this campus. The reason I'm preaching to the band this morning is because we're collaborating. We're listening carefully to our health authorities. We're going to submit ourselves to the best guidance and the best directions we're given. We want these circumstances to change. We're doing what we can, humanly speaking, to change them. But however long they take and whatever it costs any of us, these truths that I've just read to you don't change. Your father loves you. Your father is the one who takes care of birds and makes the field spectacular. And Jesus says in verse 26, are you not of more value than they? Don't you mean so much more to God? Have you forgotten how much you mean to him? And because my sons are young adults, we understand each other a lot better now. I've grown as a person and so have they. And now we can laugh about those times of panic because the way I've tried to father them and the way I've tried to love them very imperfectly, but the way I've tried to love them, I hope they would understand that I'm living actually for them. And if it came to that, I would die for them. I'm certainly not going to let them miss any meals because I don't love them. In the same way, your heavenly Father shows you the life and death and resurrection of Jesus and says to you, I loved you this much. Don't worry. Trust me to take care of the ordinary needs of life like your food and your clothing and your shelter. This also takes practice. It all takes practice. And then at the end, in verse 33, Jesus gives another commandment. And it's easy to divorce the two. It's easy to hear Jesus saying two very different things. You can hear him saying in the first 32 verses, don't worry. And then as an Instagram Bible verse, completely divorced of context, just say verse 33. That would be a mistake. Verse 33, which is so well known to so many Christians, is where it is on purpose. Listen, let me read you a little more context so to, to make it easier to grasp the point. From verse 31, therefore do not be anxious saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear for the Gentiles? In other words, people who don't know God, who don't yet have God as their father, they seek after all these things. But here's the difference for you. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Keep perspective. Remember, please, that the stuff that you need is not actually your life itself. And remember, please, that God has promised to provide you. Keep your perspective. Remember God's provision. And, Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. What's the point? Why are these verses together? Because resting in God's provision is what allows you to continue putting Him first. Please understand the original context and the original audience. Jesus is speaking almost exclusively to disciples who are desperately poor who have signed up for persecution, who will soon be cast out of the synagogue and cut off from their families. That's their context. 
It is into those kinds of circumstances that Jesus is saying, don't be anxious. But he's saying a second thing as well. Twice, he says, don't be anxious. Here, if you notice, verse 33 is also a commandment. It's not a suggestion. It's not a bonus. It is actually the very thing that disciples of Jesus should do when they are most anxious. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things, all these things you were worried about, then those things will be added to you. See, we demonstrate, I'll speak for myself, I demonstrate my lack of faith when I seek God first, put His kingdom first, remain a person who loves, a person who gives, a person for, who serves, primarily when I have margin. That's not putting the kingdom of God first. If you wait to seek God to do all the things that God has commanded in love to Him and love for others, if you wait to put Him first until it's easy, that's not kingdom seeking. What Jesus is saying here is actually rather surprising. He says the time to seek God's kingdom and His righteousness is in the midst of anxiety. So please, before I'm done, don't make the very practical mistake of saying, I'm going to hunker down and take care of me and worry about me and make my world about the size of me. And when this is over, then I will seek the Lord. Then I will trust. Then I will love. Then I will serve. Then I will give. Then I'll get back to the normal Christian life that I was once practicing before all this trouble started. Jesus says, no, the time to do that is at all times, and especially when you feel most anxious, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. How do you do that? Well, you engage today. You don't ruminate you reflect, you get back to the moment at hand, you face the challenges that God has put in your path, you embrace the promises and the opportunities that God has also presented, not being anxious about tomorrow because tomorrow will be anxious for itself, sufficient for this day is its own trouble. This also takes practice. None of us will do this perfectly. It won't be a straight line up. That's why the Christian life is primarily described as a walk, or in the book of Hebrews, a long run that is traced out, that is set out before us. We're going to live one day at a time. When we have income, when we have talent, when we have opportunities, when we find these things that are scarce, when we hear of needs, we're going to engage as Christians those opportunities one at a time. We're going to keep living as if everything that God said is true because it is. When we lose perspective and you find yourself arguing or fearful or sleepless, you're going to remind yourself of what Jesus said here and you're going to get your perspective back. You're going to refuse to ruminate in so much anxiety that you have no strength and no hope left for the next day. And you're going to remember above all things that your heavenly Father loves you. He knows exactly what you need. He knows how things will end. He knows the end of history. He knows your name and all your troubles and all your fears. And in all of it, He loves you. Not because you're good enough, but because He is. 
And if you rest in God's provision, it will allow you to put Him first. So to have peace in a time of panic, church, put your Father first, knowing that He will take care of you. The world has changed. God is not. Our circumstances, our needs, our daily anxiety, our daily pressures and troubles, all of that has changed. Not one thing has changed in the good heart of God. His character is as good and faithful and merciful and purposeful and kind and generous as He's ever been. So you keep putting Him first and remember this promise, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things that cause so much anxiety, all of these things will be added to you. Put your Father first. When you stumble and forget and fail, put Him first again, knowing that your Father, who calls Himself by that name and gives you the precious title of His son, His daughter, His little child, He is going to take care of you. Wherever you are, let's pray and thank Him for just that. Father, this is an opportunity for so many of us to experience Your love as we never have before. And because this is online, there's no way of knowing who will hear this message or when. If there's a single person listening that does not know you as Father, has never consciously asked forgiveness for their sins, confessed their need of you, confessed themselves guilty and needy of a Savior, and turned themselves over to your care, I pray that they would do that now wherever they are, whenever they hear this. That you would make new disciples, new followers of Jesus come alive as this good news that Jesus died for sinners and transforms them into sons and daughters of God reaches them. And for the many disciples, Lord, the anxious disciples, the fearful disciples, help us hear you, Jesus, with the full credibility of the suffering Savior and the one unique Son of God, help us hear you saying that we don't need to be anxious and we shouldn't be because your Father, you told us, your Father knows that you need these things. Father, provide as only you can. Do the miracles that only you can so that as you provide and you walk with us through this dark valley, we will know that we are loved and cared for. Help us at all times, but especially in times like these. Help us to live for you, to put you first, knowing that you will take care of us. I ask this in Jesus' name. And wherever Crosspoint is, we all said, amen. God bless you. We love you. We're praying for you. If you need anything, use this same website. Use my email address, bgarner at crosspointhbe.org. Use that to get in touch. We'll do all we can to serve you in the love of Jesus. We love you. We're praying for you. I'll see you online very soon. God bless you.